0: The University of Vermont Medical Center receives a 30-day warning from the Trump administration after forcing a Catholic nurse to assist in an abortion. Then, Hollywood musicians team up with Planned Parenthood shocker, in an ad attacking pro-life laws claiming that the artistic freedom to create is just like the freedom to kill babies. And then, failing presidential candidate, Beto O'Rourke, tells an audience member at a campaign event that his life had no value the day before he was born. Oh, and it's my birthday, and pro-lifers have the best birthdays. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. So today is my birthday and yes, pro-lifers actually have better birthdays than pro-choicers. Now that may sound a little bit bigoted, maybe a little bit pig-headed, but let me tell you why. I am very much a (laughs) pro-birther, meaning I believe that I have the right to be born. As the, as, as the I believe every human being has a right to. And this is obviously what being pro-life <laughs> means. And so despite this term, right, oh you're pro-lifers, they're just pro-birthers. They don't care about the baby after they're born. Despite this being used as an ad hominem attack against pro-lifers, the pro-aborts tend to cut themselves, no pun intended, on the same sword by revealing that they are not Pro the choice of babies to be born. So, so much for pro-choice. And Ronald Reagan pointed this out in his brilliant simplicity, right? He said, I- I've noticed that everyone who's for abortion has already been born. <laughs> and those on the abortion rights movement kind of shrug their shoulders and laugh on a stupid argument. No, it's, it's actually one of the most common sense, sort of natural law, rational, self-evident arguments you could make. Like, That's the name of the show, right? Unaborted. Like you're literally only here watching the show because you weren't ripped limb from limb in the womb. So how could you then cheer for the dismembering of other human beings whose right to be born is being compromised? So there is a deep and disturbing irony to human beings who have been born shouting that babies do not have a right to be born. So in short, pro-life individuals actually have the best birthdays, (laughs) Because they recognize that their life is a blessing. They recognize that they were given life. They recognize that there is a third of American citizens missing since 1973. They recognize that they're survivors of the abortion holocaust and that their mother chose life. Yeah, that kind of gratitude is going to give you a better birthday. So for that reason, I've been having a great birthday. And, and it's better than any pro-choice or will ever have a birthday. Because they, they literally cannot have the same type of enjoyment and gratitude. If at the same time, they're saying, shout your abortion. And voting for one of these presidential candidates that wants to kill babies through the day of birth. And so if you're glad that you weren't ripped limb from limb in the womb, but you also believe it should be a legal right to rip the limbs off of other babies in the wombs, then you don't understand the true blessing of life that you have. Acknowledge the gratitude that you have for your life and grant that to other babies. The fact that every pro-choice person has been born is the exact reason they ought to fight for the right of all babies to be born. So I'm eternally grateful and thankful that my mother made, yes, the right choice and I'm committing to helping rebuild our social fabric so that all born people fight for the rights of all unborn people. So happy pro-birthday to me and share that with someone who is pro-choice in your life. In one second, I'm going to get to discussing a very disturbing story coming out of Vermont where a hospital was forcing and coercing a Catholic nurse to participate in an abortion against her will, but first, When it comes to marketing, business owners today are inundated with options. You know this. Too many options. Everything from PR to branding, social media, email marketing, video, podcasts, and websites. My goodness. With such a confusing wilderness of choices, it's easy to spend a ton of money only to find yourself on the wrong path and having to backtrack and spend more money. Well, Marketing Trail Guide is here to help. They show B2B businesses how to get clear on their objectives, define attainable marketing goals, design a strategic marketing map, and put systems and resources in place to reach their goals. You can think of them as a virtual chief marketing officer, a marketing trail guide. So for a free marketing evaluation, go to marketingtrailguide.com, marketingtrailguide.com. So you can get out of the marketing wilderness, right? And on the right path to take your B2B business to new heights. That's marketingtrailguide.com, marketingtrailguide.com. They do phenomenal work and they will help take your business to the next level. So on August 28th, Maraid McArdle, writing for National Review, covered a story of of the uh, University of Vermont Medical Center forcing a Catholic nurse to assist with an abortion. Now this story actually happened back in 2017. The nurse then... Uh, filing a complaint with the Health and Human Services in 2018, and now the Trump administration just getting involved recently. And so according to National Review, quote, the nurse who filed a conscience and religious discrimination complaint in May of last year had reportedly expressed her objection to abortion for many years. So, like, everyone at the hospital knows she's pro-life. They know that she's morally opposed to abortion. On the day of the incident, she was scheduled to assist with dilation and curatage, a procedure used for both miscarriages and abortions in which the contents of the womb are surgically removed. Now, obviously those are very different, right? If if there's already been a miscarriage, the woman is already bleeding, there's already a dead baby. Obviously removing a dead baby is not the same as dismembering a live one. It says she believed she'd be assisting with a miscarriage to which she had no objection. Right, of course, because if you're helping a woman, obviously traumatically for the mother, this is not easy, but if you're helping a mother remove the baby that's already died in her womb, that needs to be done. And you're not killing anyone at that point. So she thought she was helping with a miscarriage. Now, unless this woman is just a total fool and just assumed that for no reason whatsoever— we have to assume that someone at the hospital led her to believe that or told her that. Oh, it's just a, mis- just a miscarriage. So the story goes on. It says, when she entered the operating room, the doctor performing the procedure allegedly said, quote, Don't hate me. Don't hate me. Knowing of the nurse's religious beliefs, making clear at that point that they'd be performing an abortion. The nurse objected to the assignment but eventually backed down and assisted with the procedure, fearing she would otherwise be fired or reported to licensing authorities. Now, now maybe you're thinking, you know, well, maybe this was an isolated incident, right? Maybe this was the first time this had happened, or maybe she wouldn't have been reported. I mean, we don't know that, right? Maybe if she had just said, uh, doctor, I'm not comfortable with this. Uh, I have religious and moral objections. Maybe the hospital would have said, fine, oh, no, oh, sorry, totally. No, you don't have to do this. So maybe we're thinking that, right? And, and that if she had just made her objection clear, everything would have been fine. Wrong. Wrong. According to the Office of Civil Rights at the Department for Health and Human Services, the Office of Civil Rights investigation, in a report available online, said, quote, they spoke with several other University of Vermont medical center healthcare personnel, who worked there, who since at least the spring of 2017 have been intentionally, unnecessarily, and knowingly scheduling scheduled by University of Vermont Meth- Medical Center to assist with elective abortions against the religious or moral objections. Intentionally doing that, the hospital knowing that, and scheduling such nurses for these abortions anyways. This report by the Office of Civil Rights continues and says that University of Vermont Medical Center maintains a staffing policy that facially violates the church amendments because the policy admits to circumstances where the University of Vermont Medical Center can and will force staff on pain of adverse action or discipline to participate in abortions against their moral or religious objections. The policy also violates the... um, the University of uh, Vermont's Medical Center's agreement as a condition of receiving HHS funds to comply with federal law, including the Church Amendments and HHS's grant regulations. So this was not an isolated incident. This was not an incident where if she had just spoken up and said, I'm not comfortable with this, that they would have said, sure, no worries. The reason that she, quote, feared she would otherwise be fired or reported to licensing authorities is because she probably knows that's been happening. Because according to the Office of Civil Rights investigation from Health and Human Services, there's been several other nurses who work at the hospital who have been intentionally, unnecessarily, knowingly scheduled to assist with the left of abortions against their known religious and moral objections. And nurses make some decent money. A lot of them are moms and uh, the parents both work in order to pay the bills. And so this is a really, this is a really crappy position to put nurses in so that you can just continue to perform abortion. So obviously very disturbing story, right? Coercing people into, into perpetrating evil or helping perpetrate evil uh, when they specifically have made it clear that they don't want to do that and then threatening their careers, Because they simply want to live out their religious and moral convictions without interference and without coercion. Now, love him or hate him, right? We have our president to thank for intervening in this situation. Love him or hate him. President Trump has been the most pro-life president in American history. Caleb Park writing for Fox News on August 29th in an article reports that, quote, Jay Sekulow, right, you're probably aware of the American Center for Law and Justice attorney representing the nurse, told Fox and Friends that President Trump, through the Department of Health and Human Services, is the first president to enforce the federal law, the Church Amendment, passed by Congress in 1973. That is incredible. And that's also unacceptable. That there were no presidents before him that were enforcing this simple amendment. Now, what is the church amendment? What is this? Well, passed at the same year that abortion was legalized, obviously strategically by the pro-life movement, in order to protect the conscience rights of healthcare workers who didn't want to participate in evil, said, quote, and I'm quoting from the amendment, no individual shall be required to perform or assist in the performance of any part of a health service program, or research activity funded in whole or in part under a program administrated by the Secretary of Health and Human Services in his performance or assistance in the performance of such part of such program or activity that would be contrary to his religious beliefs or moral convictions. In short, hospitals, federal institutions, healthcare institutions cannot force or coerce individuals, into participating in activity that they have religious and moral convictions to, particularly as it pertains to abortion. And according to the American Center for Law and Justice, President Trump is the first president to actually strictly enforce this. So we have our president and the administration to thank for intervening in this this situation. And there's a lot to thank to President Trump in regards to pro-life victories recently, who shortly after taking office, and I mentioned this on a previous show, created a new office of conscience protections at the Health and Human Services to protect healthcare professionals who do not want to participate in abortions. So we also have this office to thank that President Trump created shortly after taking office that is intervening and and (laughs) upholding federal law and stepping in on behalf of the conscience rights of this Catholic nurse who, for fear of being discriminated and losing her job, was coerced into participating in an abortion that prior to walking into the surgical room, she thought was a miscarriage. So this is, this is entirely reasonable, right? This is so reasonable, it almost hurts me to have to explain why this is common sense. Why it's common sense to have a law saying, if you have a certain faith, that informs moral opinions, you cannot be coerced or forced into violating those in order to appease your employer. I mean, this is so common sense for a couple reasons. Firstly, and most obviously, no one should be coerced into killing innocent human beings, even if it's legal to do so. Obviously. There have been plenty of things in world history and American history that have been legal and have been very bad ideas, have been immoral. So of course we should, we should protect the conscience rights of Protestants and Catholics and Jews and Mormons who have moral objections to abortion because nobody should be coerced into killing innocent human beings. It doesn't matter that it's legal. It doesn't matter that women can obtain them somewhere else. Abortion is deeply evil and immoral enough. We don't need to be forcing those who are opposed to it to perform them. Now, secondly, this idea of conscience protections, right, is is so incredibly reasonable because even the left, even the radical pro-abortion movement, likes the basic idea of conscience protections if it would be applied to them. So, for example, can you imagine for a second if conservatives started suing leftist actors for not portraying characters in overtly pro-life films. (laughs) So we we approach a very leftist actor, we wanna do this pro-life movie, hey, we think you'd be great, we think you fit the height, the age, the demographics, and and we've just liked your portrayal in other films and the energy you bring, and we want you to play this person in this overtly pro-life film. Well, this radical leftist actor says, no you're you're a uh, you're a bigot you're a sexist you're pro-life i hate you i don't want to play your character in your pro-life movie should we be able to sue him for all he's worth i think leftists wouldn't like that i think at that point they would want conscience protections wouldn't they because leftism is a religion let's be very clear it has a worldview it has a lens that interprets reality or or the inversion of reality and it has a whole system of thought that informs behavior and it has the idea of sinners, but no sin, and consequences if you're a sinner, sinner being conservatives. So leftism is a religion, and of course they want conscience protections as well. Or what if a conservative couple sued a transgender bakery owner for not catering their event at the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood Conference? (laughs) Should we, should conservatives be able to sue that transgender bakery owner? And then what if, what if Trump appointed judges started allowing these lawsuits and forcing leftists to pay emotional and psychological damages to said conservatives. <laughs> oh, now the left wants conscience protections. Th- this is so wrong. We shouldn't be coerced and forced into portraying, into portraying characters in films that we find morally reprehensible. We shouldn't be forced into catering events that we think are gatherings of racist, xenophobic, bigots, and sexists who are forwarding an ideology that damages the LGBTQ community. We shouldn't be forced into coerce in course, Of course you shouldn't. Of course you shouldn't. And Christians are simply saying the same thing. So do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This idea of conscious protections is that self-evident. And the left and the radical pro-abortion movement, they want them to. They want conscious protections applied in the scenarios I just laid out. But, oh, if it comes to pro-lifers, who are religious, saying, I don't want to have anything to do with killing babies. No, shut up. You need to help kill that baby. Suddenly, the idea of conscience protections is not applied across the board. So how does the leftist media respond to this story? Well, the Washington Post, on August 28th, runs a story, and I don't even even need to read anything in the article. Here's the title. Trump administration accuses Vermont Hospital of forcing nurse to participate in abortion. <laughs> well, that makes it sound like, whoa, oh my Well, what happened here? Because, I mean, not all accusations are accurate. Trump administration accuses a hospital of of forcing a nurse? Was she forced or? what? what's the story? It makes it sound like there's not enough facts to determine if this nurse was actually forced to participate in an abortion. While at the same time, the Office of Civil Rights at the Health and Human Services is interviewing other nurses at the hospital who have said that yes, since 2017, several of us have been coerced into performing an abortion under threat of losing our job. (laughs) Accused, accused of forcing a nurse. So this is how the leftist media responds to this story makes it sound like the Trump administration is the enemy. Oh, they're accusing. Ooh, how evil. Because they don't care about applying conscience protections objectively across the board to everyone. So what's next for the University of Vermont Medical Center? How has the Vermont Hospital responded to this whole debacle? And what is the Health and Human Services Department doing? Well, I'm going to tell you in just one second, and then I'm going to show you why the pro-choice movement is actually not pro-choice at all. But first, I have an exciting announcement. This fall and spring semester, in partnership with Students for Life of America, I'm going on the road to university campuses with my speaking tour, Abortion is Genocide. Abortion is Genocide. Three of the most offensive words in the leftist religion. But this is important. Because if we do not understand our history, as has been famously said, we are doomed to repeat it. And we have been repeating it for nearly 47 years this January as it pertains to the issue of abortion. Because genocide always entails the dehumanization of an entire victim class that you want to eliminate in order to justify their mistreatment and slaughter. And it's easy to convince a society that the victim class you want to eliminate are not persons if you strip them of personhood and you come up with your own criteria for human value and then point at that victim class and say, see, they don't meet that criteria. Well, the same thing is happening with unborn children in our midst. The left and the pro-abortion movement says unborn children are smaller, less developed, located elsewhere, and you know, they're so dependent on their mothers for life. So therefore, we can slaughter them. We can kill them. And the results, the consequences of that ideology is always the same. Dead innocent people, dead innocent people, over 60 million dead innocent human beings since 1973 because of the same ideology that's being recycled from slavery and the Holocaust. Those are the ideas I'm going to be discussing. I'm booked at the UC Berkeley, uh, Cal State Long Beach, Fresno State, Cal Poly Slow, and a bunch more, pending. And it looks like a trip to the Dallas area in the spring semester. So if you're listening to the show and you want to bring this tour to your university campus as a Catholic club, Christian club, pro-life club philosophy club let me know and book me while there's still space so we'll be right back and we'll continue this conversation see you in a second all righty so welcome back to unaborted now obviously this is a bad luck, right? This is a bad luck for the University of Vermont Medical Center, coercing a Catholic nurse into assisting with an abortion against her, her obviously stated and understood by the whole staff religious and moral objections to abortion. And then, of course, the Office for Civil Rights found that there were other people who were coerced and forced into, into assisting with the killing of children in the womb when the whole staff basically knew that these people We're opposed to abortion. So this is a bad, bad look, because obviously this is not pro-choice. And so how has the hospital responded to all of this? Well, the National Review article continues by saying, quote, the Trump administration sent a warning notice Wednesday to the University of Vermont Medical Center for forcing a Catholic nurse to assist with an abortion, an assignment that violated her conscience. Unless the hospital verifies within 30 days that it will not require healthcare professionals to perform duties to which they morally object, the Health Resources and Services Administration will begin a review, and good, it should begin immediately. But according to the Office of Civil Rights notice, after the Catholic nurse filed her discrimination complaint in May of 2018, the Office for Civil Rights contacted the hospital and began a conversation. So this is over a year ago, okay? The article continues saying the Office for Civil Rights uh, contacted University of Vermont Medical Center repeatedly in a good-faith effort to seek cooperation from the hospital. But the hospital refused to conform its policies to federal conscience laws, provide all the documents requested by the Office for Civil Rights, Rights, or produce witnesses for the Office of Civil Rights interviews. Nevertheless, Office for Civil Rights interviewed multiple witnesses and gathered evidence concerning the allegations. So for basically over a year... The University of Vermont Medical Center was holding the Health and Human Services Department at an arm's length, refusing to give them what they were asking for and refusing to conform their their policies with federal law regarding conscience protections for religious workers. So this this is completely antithetical to the entire pro-choice message. The, The mantra for nearly half a century has been pro-choice, pro-choice. And through the Clinton years, through the Bush years, the pro-choice movement did not want to coerce others into having an abortion or performing them, right? My body, my choice, her body, her choice. It wasn't, hey, no, actually you who don't like abortion, you have to go do the abortions. For most of the pro-choice movement in America, Abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, right? Rare. We don't want that many abortions. And if you don't like it, you don't have to, you know, if you don't like abortion, don't have one. The famous bumper sticker. Well, that whole narrative is shifting now. And the pro-choice movement is clearly, clearly pro-abortion. Pro-choice is the biggest lie sold to the American public by the juggernaut. You cannot be pro-choice and support Stripping medical professionals of their choice to not participate in the killing of children. This is what this hospital did. Under, under pain of consequences and potentially career loss, the pro-choice movement at the University of Vermont Medical Center practiced their pro-choiceness by stripping choice from religious objectors to abortion and forcing them to assist with an abortion. How is that pro-choice? So if you support the University of Vermont Medical Center into coercing nurses under, as the Office for Civil Rights reported, under pain of adverse action or discipline to participate in abortions, you are pro-abortion. If you support the actions by the University of Vermont Medical Center, you are pro-abortion. That is not pro-choice. That is pro-only one choice. And that choice of abortion has been deified and lifted up so high as a sacrament that everyone else needs to bow down to. And if you don't share our ideology, your career is now at risk. So, so thank God that the Office for Civil Rights under the larger Conscience Protection Office created by our president is getting involved and giving them 30 days to conform their policies, or they will have significant consequences, namely the stripping of funds because we're currently tax funding them with our dollars. Now, there there is, of course, a always concerning element to these conversations because most of this is not new. Most of this is not new. Most of the things happening in our world today are not new. Our country and our world has a bloody history of, injustice if the actions of those injustice make our lives easier or make our lives better in our own definition our own version of the good life and, and if we have to trample over others in order to achieve our version of the good life then that's perfectly acceptable so none of this is is really new and here's what i mean by that okay um, historically uh, attempting to coerce or force good people into participating in evil is a trademark of genocide and systematic evil. I'm going to say that again. Attempting to coerce or force good people into participating in evil that they're, that they're opposed to is a trademark of genocide and systematic evil. So this is, this is actually not new. So when we say that evil is now good and good is now evil, when we literally invert reality, in an attempt to justify certain choices or ways of life, then those who promote reality (laughs) become the enemy. Because it's an upside-down kingdom. It's an inverted reality. It's an an unreality. And so if that's the world you live in, which is the world the left lives in, that is the world the pro-choice movement lives in, then those who promote reality... Those who say, no, evil is evil and good is good, they become the enemy. Because if evil is actually good, then good is actually evil. So, I mean, if you actually have convinced yourself that, then I guess it would be normal to demonize and make enemies of those who are proponents of reality. So when those who live in the real world of facts and logic promote facts and logic, those in the upside down, the fantasy world, they attack and they attempt to either silence or coerce proponents of reality to abide by fantasy standards of morality. Fantasy standards of morality, which is saying that, that good is evil and evil is good. Because if you believe that, then the good people, the pro-life people, are actually the evil people. So they need to be silenced. Because they're actually compromising women's bodily autonomy. They're actually compromising women's freedoms, according to leftist ideology. And so we have seen this before. This is not new. The example that I want to share with you is indeed from... holocaust so david kitterman wrote a book in the 90s called refusing to kill in the midst of the holocaust the case of klaus hornig now i had i was not familiar with with klaus hornig until recently and he has a phenomenal story that that strangely and eerily mirrors the story of this catholic nurse so Klaus Hornig was a Catholic German officer in the SS who refused to kill Jews and attempted to stop the bloodshed and atrocities by teaching the men under his command that they did not have to follow orders that went against their moral and legal conscience. I mean, this is strangely similar. And in November of 1941, Klaus Hornig was ordered to carry out the execution of 780 Soviet prisoners of war. But he refused to do that. And, and, in, and citing him in this book, David Kitterman expl- uh, cites what he says, describing the brutality of the execution that was carried out by others that he was forced to look on because of his refusal to participate in that evil himself. And so he says, quote, the execution itself was a terrible sight. A huge, sandy grave filled with half-naked Russian prisoners were killed with Russian machine guns that spattered the soldiers' coats with brains, blood, and the bone of the dying. Hornig was imprisoned, beaten, stripped of his rank and prestige, and threatened with death. For his impertinence. So you, you want to talk about you wanna talk about the forces of evil assigning consequences to good people for refusing to associate in that evil? It's right here. This is not new. When genocide is legal, those who perpetrate it are extremely committed to and passionate about either silencing those that they perceive as evil or coercing them into participating in evil. And of course, those that they perceive as evil are in fact the good people. This is an inverted reality. So so Klaus Hornig, he ends up in a Jewish concentration camp with the very people he refused to kill. And in fact, he, he got beaten up a few times by Jews who thought he was a German spy that was, compromising their, that was compromising their lives. But he was actually there because he refused to kill Jews. He, he was known for hiding Jews under his bed so that they wouldn't be found. This guy was very opposed to participating in evil. Klaus Hornig's execution orders were in route to the camp he was being held out on the day it was liberated. And he lived out the rest of his days in Germany. So, so this, this is not new, friends. This is not new. When you call evil good and good evil and you convince yourself that those who were saying, I don't want to kill babies and we shouldn't be killing babies are in fact the evil ones. They are in fact the devil incarnate, not those killing babies then it's easy to tell yourself we need to either silence those people or we need to force and coerce them into participating in the very evil that we call good and they call evil. In an inverted reality, vices become virtues. And the proponents of the Holocaust were just as happy to coerce pro-life Jews, pro-the-life of Jew people into participating in evil as the proponents of abortion are to coercing pro-lifers to participate in abortion. This is the same worldview. This is the same ideology. And so it has the same consequences, those consequences being dead, innocent human beings. You know, the prophet Isaiah was very prophetic, and God speaking through him said, In Isaiah 520, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Life is sweet. We don't get out of this thing unscarred, but it is sweet. What is bitter is ripping the limbs off of unborn children and calling it reproductive justice. And he is prophesying right here exactly where we are at today, an inverted reality that, that, that switches objective definitions. And so vices become virtues. And that is how people at the University of Vermont Medical Center and those in the pro-abortion movement can even live with themselves and wake up every day. Because when facts and logic and reality reassert themselves in your life and you realize the great evil you have been involved with, it becomes very easy, very difficult to live with yourself. Now, Christians have a very important message to share, which is that Jesus is just as eager to forgive the sin of abortion as any other sin. And if King David could arrange the death of an innocent person, namely the husband of the chick he was sleeping with, then, then he can forgive anyone else who participated in the arranging of the death of innocent people and still use them for his purposes. But reality must be acknowledged and the inverted reality of the left and the pro-abortion movement must be fought and exposed for what it is. A brutal misstep in history that, that, that forgets our history and repeats the same mistakes by, by dehumanizing those that we see as less to justify killing them and coercing those who don't want to participate in those evils to participate in that evil. So we'll see what continues to happen with the story and hopefully the the hospital conforms their policies to the church amendments to protect the conscience rights of religious objectors to abortion. But we have another story here for you today that um, is not shocking but is of course concerning and that is that Hollywood musicians have recently teamed up with Planned Parenthood, and as I said, <laughs> this is no shock to any of us in the pro-life movement. So Hank Berrien at the Daily Wire on August 27th reported that, quote, over 100 well-known musicians signed on to a full-page ad in Billboard, the magazine, slamming abortion-restrictive laws passed around the country, calling their campaign, ready, bands together, bands off, part of Planned Parenthood's hashtag bands off my body campaign, right? Again, treating abortion as if it's just the involving one body. So here's what this ad read, okay, in Billboard. Hundreds of Hollywood musicians signing on to this. This is what this ad said. Freedom is at the foundation of music. Through music we have the power to create, to be as we are as individuals, to speak and live our truth. Access to sexual and reproductive health care is about that same freedom. Because no one is free unless they control their own body. Right now, our bodies are under attack in this country. Sweeping bans on access to safe legal abortions are stripping away our freedoms. Now is the time to band together and say, keep your bans off our bodies. Okay, so this is the ad that, that Planned Parenthood runs in coordination and partnership with over 100 Hollywood artists. This is one of the most disturbing and debauched arguments I have ever heard from the left. And that is saying something. That is saying something. They have just, they have just connected the idea of the freedom in artistry, the freedom in artistic expression, with, with the freedom to dismember children. So, so essentially, literally what they're saying here, freedom is at the foundation of music and access to sexual and reproductive healthcare is about that same freedom. So the freedom and power to create artistically is just like the freedom and power of reproductive healthcare, And by that, they mean the legal right to dismember your unborn children through all nine months of pregnancy for any reason or no reason at all. This is extremely disturbing. Comparing artistic expression... To a woman's right to dismember her unborn child is a particularly grotesque argument and something only worthy of sadists, frankly. To describe abortion as art and the dismemberment of your child as artistic expression is something only worthy of sadists. That, I mean, there's literally, they're, they're, they're making a comparison between the artistic expression and freedom in music, and then saying abortion is about that same freedom. This is is stuff worthy of George Hodel. If you don't remember that story, George Hodel was the the murderer of Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. You might know her by that name. And George Hodel cut this woman in half at the waist, sucked all of the blood out of her body, sliced her from ear to ear with a Glasgow smile, and then arranged her body in a sexual pose as a piece of art. Art. Calling abortion a form of artistic expression is, is something only worthy of sadists like George Hodel, the murder of the Black Dahlia. This is, this is some disturbing bleep, to put it lightly, to say that the freedom to kill my child, is is really just like the freedom I participate every day when I write new music, so you'll listen to it on Spotify. This is some really, really dark stuff here. They say in this ad, because no one is free unless they control their own body. And so we're going to get into this next about what actual freedom is, and that being enslaved to the abortion juggernaut is indeed not a type of freedom at all. So we're going to explain why access to and the deification of abortion does not make women free, but rather enslaves them. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com unaborted and become a patron of the show. Listen, one of the longtime leaders and warriors of the pro-life movement, Greg Cunningham, once said that there are more people Working full time to kill babies, then there are working full time to save them. And that's because killing babies is very profitable, but saving them is very costly. And that's true. That's very, very true. It is far more costly for the pro life movement to save babies than it is for the pro abortion movement to kill babies. They make a lot more money doing that than we do trying to save lives. It's very costly for us. And that's part of what this show is too, right? We need your help. And so if, if, if this matters to you and you believe that it's important to have more than one message, more than one voice in this country, particularly as we're reaching young people with the truth, equipping them to defend life and be the pro-life generation that will end abortion, then become a patron of the show and help us get this content before more people. With your help, we can continue to produce this show, increase the value, reach more people, have excellent guests on the show who are leaders in the pro-life movement and provide a one-stop shop for pro-life individuals like yourself to get encouragement, education, and a bit of humor so you can go back out and be a voice for the unborn children in your midst. We'll be right back. So welcome back to the show. So I want to explain to you why access to and the deification of abortion does not make women free but rather enslave them to something that keeps them from being free. Because this is the pitch, right? This is the pitch from Hollywood, from Planned Parenthood, from this ad in their campaign together is that no one is free unless they control their own body. And So they say right now our bodies are under attack because of these pro-life bans that are compromising women's reproductive health care. But women are not free when they feel like they cannot live without abortion. Women are not free at all if they feel like they cannot live without abortion. And they have to launch whole campaigns to fight those who don't want to kill children so that they can feel free. That's slavery. Slavery to self. Slavery to convenience. Slavery to sex. Slavery to life without responsibilities. That's not freedom. To suggest that you are not free unless you have the legal right to kill your unborn child up until the moment of birth, which is what this campaign is all about because that's what Planned Parenthood does. They support abortion to the day of birth. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. True freedom is found in giving of yourself. True freedom is found in finding joy and happiness in all, all circumstances, not only the circumstances in which you can eliminate the responsibilities associated with sexual intercourse, that responsibility being a baby. No, true freedom is finding joy and satisfaction in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And this applies to all people, right? Like I'm speaking to myself too. Like we're all prone to feel like we can't be happy if we don't have X. Now obviously this is just a a, a significantly more dark example because we're actually talking about the need to kill babies in order to feel free. But the idea that we won't feel free or happy or whatever until we have X is a universal human problem. But true freedom is found in giving of yourself and in being and in being fulfilled and, and joyful wherever you find yourself. As long as you can say I can only be happy if or or I can only be free when, then you're not free. <laughs> you're not free. You're a slave to your own idols and desires which cannot handle the weight of an eternal soul. Your idols that you have convinced yourself you need in order to be free, in order to be happy, cannot handle the weight of an eternal soul. As C.S. Lewis says, you've never met a mere mortal. Meaning that we are all immortal because we will either spend our immortal life in heaven or in hell. You've never met a mere mortal. And these fleeting things in this life cannot handle the weight of your eternal soul. And that is just as true of abortion as anything else. The desire to, to have the right to kill your child in order to feel free will not satisfy you. Not now, not ever. And so this ad continues, of course, by saying that our bodies are under attack in this country. Now, of course, pro-lifers' immediate response is that um, actually, actually, the, the ban is focused on keeping you from attacking other bodies. (laughs) Nobody's attacking your body. The body in your body is not your body. These pro-life bans that are trying to save the lives of unborn children are actually to keep abortionists and women who are pregnant, who don't want their babies, from launching an attack on their babies. (laughs) That's the whole point, right? That there's more than one body involved. And. The ad continues, then, saying that sweeping bans on access to safe, legal abortions are are stripping away our freedoms. Again, th- that that there's no world in which in which it is freeing to kill someone else, or in which you have freedom by killing someone else. And then they say, "Keep your bans off of our bodies." And of course, the nobody's interested in in banning you from having sex. Nobody's interested in banning you from masturbating. Nobody's interested in banning you from making out or from from taking or for using a condom or a diet. Nobody's interested in your body. These bans are not about your body. These bands are to keep you, to prevent you from killing the body in your body. This, and we all know this. And it's very clear that the left and the pro-abortion movement has been intentionally turning a blind eye to this for decades. But there are some people in the abortion rights movement who are intellectually honest enough to actually admit that, that the body in her body is not her body. <laughs> There are some on the left who are intentionally intellectually honest enough to admit, like, listen, guys, come on. Let, let's just all say together, we know that the baby is actually a human being that's separate from the mother. <laughs> so we really all know this, and we were really all taught this in bas- like, high school biology, <laughs> that our textbooks had this, because we all know this, right? And as John Piper, as John Piper once famously said, we all know they're killing babies. We all know it. Okay. So... But in an inverted reality that treats evil as good, you can convince yourself otherwise in order to pursue your version of freedom, your version of the good life. <laughs> and yet, unfortunately, unfortunately, Hollywood is a test case in the consequence of bad ideas. <laughs> we should take this with a, with a minuscule, only viewed with a telescope grain of salt because Hollywood has been a test case for decades of the consequence of bad ideas. And this is certainly true in this campaign between Hollywood musicians and Planned Parenthood. Celebrities have some of the highest reported rates of drug use, alcoholism, divorce, and suicide. And, and, and there's been plenty of, 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 our, of these leading Hollywood celebrities in the last two years who have committed suicide. You know the names of many of them. Robin Williams probably being the most popular. Celebrities have, have some of the highest reported rates of these things, and yet they have what would maybe culturally be defined as all of the freedoms. Freedom of income, freedom of time, freedom of fame, freedom of property, freedom of homes, freedom of, of employees that do all their stuff for them. I mean, ultimate freedom. Because a lot of freedom does come with a lot of money. You can get a lot done. <laughs> and yet, they're miserable. Jim, Jim Carrey once famously said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so that they would see that it is not the answer to anything. So we, we shouldn't be surprised when we see the, the leftist religion playing itself out in Hollywood. The leftist idea of freedom on the altar of dead babies leading to consequences such as drug use alcoholism divorce and suicide hollywood is not a place of joy these people are not joyful they are pursuing idols such as abortion for temporal fleeting satisfaction so that they can they can pursue what they perceive at that moment as the good life and then do it again and again and again because idols cannot handle the weight of an eternal soul. So this doesn't surprise any of us, obviously. This is Hollywood. But I think these are some of the, of the deeper issues going on. And, and these are, in fact, people we should be praying for because these are people, many of whom, have already arranged the death of multiple of their unborn children. And so placing yourself at the front of a Bands Off My Body campaign is a way is a way to treat their atrocity as something just so that they can live. With themselves. So pray for these people with your family. And let's continue on the front lines, bold and unabated in the defense of Mm -hmm. our unborn neighbors. So Beto O'Rourke was recently on the campaign trail at a campaign event at the College of Charleston. Now, Beto O'Rourke is failing and falling very quickly in the polls. Um, He somehow managed to scrape by into the next round of presidential debates, though I think he's polling at less than 2% or 1%. And so Daily Wire reported on an interaction between Beto O'Rourke and an audience member at this campaign event on August 26th at the College of Charleston. And um, I mean, just, just look at this. Look at this Beto O'Rourke face. I mean, that, that is not a face I would want anywhere near <laughs> my children. And so he's asked this question by this young man. This young man says, I was born September 8th, 1989. And I want to know, if you think on September 7th, 1989, my life had no value. Here's Beto's response. My question is this. I was born September 8th, 1989. And I wanna know if you think on September 7th, 1989, my life had no value. Uh,
1: Of course, I don't think that. And um, of course, I'm glad that you're here, but you you, um, reference- Oh, oops.
0: Oops, he, he, said, he said the one word that our parents always said. We, I don't want to hear about your butt. I don't want to hear about your butt. <laughs> yeah, of course I'm glad you're here. But, okay, you, you just negated everything you just said. Okay, you, you, you just said, of course I'm glad you're here, but I think your mom should have had the right to make you not here. <laughs> and so he goes on to, to defend um, 40th week abortions. Be- Beto O'Rourke.
1: Prince, my answer in, in Ohio, and it remains the same, Th- this is a decision that neither you nor I nor the United States government should be making. That's a decision for the woman to make. Oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know if you
0: saw there, there's, a, uh, there's a little group of young women in the back here. I mean, they're out a college, so maybe they're freshmen. I mean, they look like they could be in, in like 11th or 12th grade. And if you saw, if you were looking carefully, one of those young women was starting to clap before he even finished when he said, uh, this is not a decision for us. I mean, th- this, this is why the, the cultural battles, the cultural war, the pro-life movement is so important. Look at these, look at, th- she's like 18, this poor brainwashed young woman can't wait. She's literally itching to clap. For a statement that she know will be about women's reproductive freedom. I mean, how did this girl get through high school without learning about embryology? How is she at her college without knowing that a baby is a baby and that baby started at the moment of conception? This is deeply sobering and if we do not win the next generation and the next generation after that, it may be impossible To overturn Roe v Wade because these people all turn into leftist voters. But Beto says, right, essentially, so your mom should have had the choice to murder you 12 hours before you were born, but you shouldn't have had the choice to be here speaking to me. Oh, of course I'm glad you're here, but but your mom should have had the legal right to arrange your murder as she's heading to the hospital before she starts labor because you're not born yet. 40th week abortions. So translation, Killing a fully developed full-term baby for whom abortion is not medically necessary at all, that is 12 hours away from being born, is a decision for the woman to make because we want her to have the best access to care, as as Beto O'Rourke says. The best access to, to care? Care for whom? Not care for either person, not care for the baby who's dead, or care for the mother for whom third trimester abortions are significantly more dangerous than earlier term abortions. And a trimester in which she's, if, if, she, if she doesn't see a full-term baby ripped from her birth canal, she will certainly feel the size and weight of the child that is being murdered that should have been cleaned off, had its umbilical cord cut, and been put on your breasts. And yet this is the position of the Democratic Party today. Beto O'Rourke is not an outlier. He's simply a microcosm of the entire democratic party's position on abortion so he continues here to talk about the importance of killing babies and and how saying we shouldn't kill babies actually leads to killing mothers
1: the best possible access to care and to a medical provider and i'll tell you the consequence of this this attack on women's right to choose and 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 i listened to you and i I heard your question i'm answering it um and and the attack on on roe versus wade which we thought was the settled law of the land and and unless we had any illusion
0: okay beto uh some settled laws were bad laws i mean this is what politicians do all the time on abortion they beg the question by assuming that the unborn is not a human being, so that they can forward their pro-choice talking points without answering the only question that matters, which is, what is the unborn? And this guy, you'll notice, he, he interjected to Beto. He's like, you're not really answering the question. He goes, I, I am answering your question. I let you talk. And this, this, is what, this is what pro-choice politicians do all the time. And one of the biggest arguments for, strangely enough, for the morality of abortion is the legality of abortion. Pro-choice activists have been saying, For decades, and I've literally had this argument used to me in a debate, is that it's a legal right. Yeah, I know. That's what Roe v. Wade said. (laughs) And if that's your argument for why it should remain a legal right or why it's a moral right, then then uh, that's some of the worst reasoning I've ever heard. (laughs) Um, But that's what he's saying here. We thought Roe v. Wade was settled law. Okay? Why Why does that matter? But of course, he's not going to answer the only questions that matter. He's not going to answer the question of what made this dude valuable at 40 weeks the day before he was born. Oh, I'm glad you're here, but you weren't valuable and you should have been killed because Roe v. Wade has settled the law. So he continues here now blaming the perceived death of pregnant mothers in Texas on pro-life policies.
1: That the achievements that we've made are protected forever or that progress is inevitable. That has been shattered right now. And I don't want to tell you some of the consequences of this. In my home state of Texas, thanks to these trap laws that uh, make it harder for uh, providers to offer the full spectrum of reproductive care, more than a quarter of our family planning clinics have closed. And it has made us one of the epicenters of this maternal mortality crisis because not only can you not get safe legal access to an abortion, you cannot get access to a cervical cancer screening or a family planning provider, or in a state that refused to expand Medicaid, any provider at all. And we are losing the lives of women in our state as a result. Um, I I don't question the decisions that that a woman makes. I mean, only she knows um, what she knows, and I want to trust her with that. So I appreciate the question. Thank you.
0: Again, obviously a very pro-choice audience, but still very concerning when you see this many young people cheering such such a morally bankrupt argument. So what Beto O'Rourke is saying here is he's saying it's pro-life policies, particularly in Texas, which has been a very pro-life state for decades, that has caused increasing maternal mortality rates and crisis in Texas, meaning that pregnant women who don't have access to abortion are dying in large part because of their inability to access abortion. And this has been an argument that the pro-abortion movement has made for a long time, that pro-life policies actually lead to the death of pregnant women who would survive in certain circumstances where they need abortion if they had access to abortion. Of course, they don't care about unborn women who die from abortion, just the mothers of those unborn women. Well, Michael J. New at the National Review on August 28th corrects this lie once and for all. And he writes that, quote, O'Rourke said that because of abortion clinic regulations in Texas— one-fourth of family planning facilities have shut down and claimed that these policies have made the state one of the epicenters of this maternal mortality crisis. To make this claim, O'Rourke is relying on incorrect data. A 2016 study in the journal Obstetrics and Gynecology did report a large increase in the incidence of maternal mortality in Texas, but a 2018 study in the same journal using corrected data found that the maternal mortality rate was actually less than half of what was previously reported. Contrary to O'Rourke's remarks, neither clinic regulations nor funding cuts to Planned Parenthood caused the maternal mortality rate in Texas to spike. But pro-choice politicians have always done this. They've blamed certain increases in in pregnant maternal mortality rates to pro-life policies to make the point that we need to get rid of these pro-life policies. So um, so in the, obstet- in the journal Obstetrics and Gynecology, the same study Michael J. New reporting in National Review says that they found that that was incorrect data the first time. And then, and then Beto O'Rourke finishes here saying, only a woman knows what she knows. Only a woman knows what she knows. And I want to trust her with that. I, I don't even know what that means. Only a woman knows what she knows. I mean, th- but this is really like plays into the whole like believe all women thing. You remember? If any woman comes out and accuses a man of rape or sexual misconduct like all of the women that accused Brett Kavanaugh before his appointee to the Supreme Court, you have to believe them. Only a woman knows what she knows. And I trust her with that. <laughs> what a, I mean, what a ludicrous contention. Why should, we, why should we trust women any more than men? Just, I mean, we all know what we know. That has nothing to do with morality or not. <laughs> I mean, what if I came to you and said, hey, guys, I, you know... I can't. I can't afford my toddler. I think I. I think I need to kill him. I mean, I'll, don't worry. I'll pay someone else to do it because I don't. I don't want the dismemberment on my conscience. But um, you know, well, Seth. Only you know what you know. Only you know what you know, and I trust you with that. <laughs> your knowledge has nothing to do with your moral choices. Like whether you know you're doing something wrong or don't know something can still be wrong, <laughs> and and trusting people's knowledge. To justify any choice whatever because only she knows what she knows is a, is, is just a silly, silly thing to say. Um, and, and I'm scared to think of how uh, Bid O'Rourke parents his kids uh, because apparently they can do whatever they want too because only they know what they know. Also, this is this is actually like a total pro-slavery argument for abortion. This is the exact type of arguments that were made in defense of slavery. Dude. You can dislike slavery, right? This is this is the whole this was the whole thing behind the Lincoln-Douglas debates, right? Douglas was was challenging Lincoln saying that he was actually personally against slavery. But you know, slave owners know what they know, like that's their that's their economic livelihood and we should just leave everyone to their own devices. Only they know what they know. I mean, this is this is a this is a deeply evil argument and and really utilizes the same type of arguments that were being used for slavery. Trust Trust others to make their decisions and you make yours. Yeah, unless those decisions are injuring or killing innocent human beings, then then, then trust in humanity goes out the window because humanity is actually being compromised. <laughs> um, but this is the entire democratic field, friends. The entire democratic field running for president believes exactly as Beto O'Rourke does. Exactly. And... If a Republican loses in 2020, we will have a president who backs infanticide and wants to fund it with your tax dollars because they all now support overturning the Hyde Amendment. Joe Biden, the, the, the moderate, old Joe, the moderate, I reach across the aisle, I work with, with Republicans, switched his support of the Hyde Amendment from his, for his entire career just a couple months ago. Because he has to pander to the radical left in order to get a voting base he thinks he needs to win. Though he'll probably win for being a moderate, not a radical. So now they all support specifically funding a Planned Parenthood with your tax dollars. Of course, we already do because money's fungible. If you throw money in this here, then you can free up that money and move it over here. So we're still funding abortion. But the Hyde Amendment keeps it from expressly funding abortion. They all want to reverse that. And when I say we'll have a president who backs infanticide, I mean that, that a baby that's due to be born in, in, in 12 hours, that's infanticide, okay? <laughs> sure, medically, scientific, like we don't call it an infant until it's born. But it could have been born eight weeks before that, be significantly less developed, and we'll call it an infant. So these terms aren't really helpful because we, we would call a preemie at 30 weeks or 25 weeks an infant because it's not in the womb. But we won't call a 40 week baby an infant because they haven't been born yet. So if you back 40th week abortions, that's infanticide. And the entire medical community agrees that it's not medically necessary. If Republicans lose in 2020, we will have a president who backs infanticide, abortion to the day of birth. And Beto Work is just a microcosm of the larger Democratic Party that is the party of Molech that bows down on the altar of abortion. Alrighty. Well, that's all we have time for today. For more of this madness, actually, tune into the next round of presidential debates on September 12th and watch the candidates hopefully discussed, disgust the majority of Americans with their public support for third trimester abortions. Frankly, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Turn off the, the 80, the 87% of the American public that, that do not believe that, Third trimester abortion should be legal. I'm all for it. That's great. Well, thanks for joining me today. Head on over to iTunes and YouTube. Give this show a review and a rating so we can reach more people. Listen wherever you listen. We're on Spotify as well now too. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com. That's S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for training videos, my speaking schedule, Um, and to subscribe to my newsletter to get training to your inbox on how you can actually articulate and defend and be a voice for the unborn. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.